0: Lord, we thank you for your blessing, even in the midst of difficulty. Um, Lord, those of us that have Christ, that, that you have saved, we see many blessings in the midst of difficult circumstances. We are troubled. We, we hurt sometimes. We uh, are just faced with difficult things, and it's hard, and it hurts. But yet, we are not destroyed. We are not. We don't drown because Lord, you lift our head above the water. You keep us afloat. That is what you have done through Christ, dying on the cross and raising again on the third day. You've conquered the sting of death. You have you have taken that last and removed that last um, sting, and that is in death because you took our payment on the cross and providing a perfect sacrifice for us. So Lord, we long for all that you um, can encourage us with and strengthen us with because we live in a fallen world filled with pain and discouragement. So lift our spirits and helping us to know what you have done for us and reminding us. And so Lord, we thank you for these words that you've given us. Teach us, I pray, not from my lips, Lord, but... Lord, we thank you for your word that's been breathed out for us from you, that we might know you and live in obedience to you. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Romans chapter 8 has been our text. We've been going through and looking at uh, how do we live this life now that we have Christ, now that we're saved. What does that look like? And it's not a life filled with us doing, it's actually a life that's filled with the Holy Spirit doing for us. We can't produce righteousness. And so we've been looking at that, and, and there's two mindsets that we could have. There's two worldviews. One, a worldview that is focused on the earthly things, or there's a Christian worldview that is focused on the things that Christ has done that God has done. So we look either at what we can do in life based on our flesh, or we look at life through what Christ has done. And so, it, you know, and depending on what glasses makes a big difference on how we view life. You know, if I, it, depending on what glasses I pick up, it depends on if I can read or not. It depends on the difficulty in which I get around. Right, And so the, the way we view the world and how we view the world is important. He tells us a very encouraging thing. We're going to read verses 1 through 11, but we're focusing on verses 9, 10, and 11 this morning. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Amen? That is great That is encouraging. If God has saved you, if you have been born again, saved from your sin, Christ has done that. There's no condemnation. That weight of being condemned because of sin is gone. And he tells us why. He gives us the explanation for that. He says in verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh but those who live according to the spirit set their mind on the things of the spirit for to set the mind on the flesh is death but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to god for it does not submit to god's law it indeed it cannot those who are in the flesh cannot please god you however he has raised Christ Jesus from the dead who will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Wow, that's a complete rundown why we have no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's real simple. If we look at verse 9, 10, 11, it's the, the outline is very simple. We, as Christians, we have a past. But as Christians, we also have a present, a, a present in life. We have to deal with life in the present. But also, we have a future. Basically, if we look at verses 9, 10, and 11, it, he's dealing with our past, our present, and our future. And Paul is talking to the church in Rome about that very thing. When we think about having no condemnation, being not under the, the weight of sin and death, And not having that condemnation in life, it's because of what Christ has done for us. Every Christian is facing a problem and is dealing with the problem. And in this text, he's talking about that. The problem is sin. We see that. Our problem is sin because we do it. We rebel against God, we rebel against his holiness, his perfection. He is just, he is right, he is pure. We are not. And we rebel against that. And that is sin, to miss the mark, to fall short of his glory. That's what sin is, to fall short or to miss the mark. That's our problem. And he's dealing with that in this this chapter. The other thing is, is the problem of righteousness. Oftentimes we think righteousness is about what we do. We try to be right But we sin, so we can't actually be collectively right. Isaiah said, there is none righteous, no, not one. And then Paul said again in Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, right? We all have that same problem. I like that. All means all, and that's all that all means. We all have to deal with that sin. The problem with righteousness is we can't produce it because of sin but the gospel the good news what Christ did for us is that the gospel his death burial and resurrection and paying for our sin he imparts God's righteousness to our life he took our sin right on the cross and when he rose again and he pays for our sin he imputes or he gives us God's righteousness that's, that's why we can now follow God's commands. The problem of righteousness is we can't produce it. The problem is the strength of sin and the weakness of our flesh. Our flesh is weak, and sin is strong. It, it pulls us against God. As Paul has shown in verses 5 through 8, that because of the flesh, we can't please God. God provides the means for Christians to live in a way that enables them to fulfill the righteous requirements of the law and to please God through the Holy Spirit, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, through that gift of the Holy Spirit, through the death and burial and resurrection of Christ. And now he resides in us, which produces righteousness. It's not us, but the power of the Holy Spirit that produces right living. God takes care of that. God solved that first problem by condemning sin. You looked at verse three, it says, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. He took care of that sin problem and that flesh problem by condemning it and providing us life through Christ. Did you notice verse 4? In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled. Now we see in verse 9 through 11, Paul is telling us how God has provided the solution to righteousness or living right. If we were to boil it up in a nutshell, this is what Paul is telling us. If you think about verses 9, 10, and 11, our past, our present, and our future... If God's spirit dwells in you, you belong to Christ. And through even though our physical body will die, and it is dying, right? God will raise our body from the dead. Because, because Christ died and rose again, because his spirit is made to live within us, that same spirit that rose Christ will raise our body. When we put our faith and trust in the Lord as our Savior and and to pay for our sin, he changes us from the flesh and death to the spirit and life. We used to be in the flesh under the ruling influence of the flesh, being dominated by the flesh, but now we have his spirit and we're under the rule of the spirit, which means... Also, the same life that he provides in the Spirit is for us. That is a blessing. So let's break it down. The Christian is marked by his past. How does this help us to live our life now? That's the question I want you to think about as we look at our past, our present condition, and then our future condition. Well, it says in verse 9, you, when he's talking to Romans, think about this. How was the Roman Empire during Paul's day? Think about what their life was like before Christ. Was Rome, you know, a very moralistic society? (laughs) I mean, was it a pillar of moralism, right? Was justice for all? You know, was it all that, you know, all are in the same boat? Or was there this, you know, pleasure and... Denigration, I mean, there was just everybody did what was right in their own eyes, right? Not moral. But when Christ came, that changed people, didn't it? You know the threat of Christianity on Rome, why Rome hated Christianity so much? Because it began to change the whole society. The grip that the that paganistic Pleasure filled society had on all the people, right? It was going away because now Christ was transforming lives and giving people real purpose. Do you notice what he says there? You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. He is writing to these Christians in the Rome and saying, "You are believers. You are not." Of the flesh. You remember the flesh that was against God, that was alienated by God, that wasn't at peace with God, that hated God, that couldn't follow God's law. That's not who you are anymore. That's in your past. And he's trying to explain the difference. Why you're no longer under condemnation is because you are no longer part of that fleshly, earthly, sinful nature that's in the society that surrounds you. He wants us to know the same thing about living in our society. He's trying to explain this difference in their new identification. They have this new identity. Their identity is no longer the same. They're no longer identified with this this fleshly desire, but now they have the spirit, the spirit that's not like the flesh, that doesn't lead to death, but the spirit that leads and is life? What difference has it made in them? In order to know the difference that you have, you got to really think about your past. Which is what Paul does first. You see, as a Christian, you have been lifted out of your formal, sinful, fleshly state into the realm of life in the spirit. Whether we remember Ephesians chapter 2, he he reminds us of our old state before he tells us our current state. Colossians 1, right before Paul told the church in Colossae, he reminded them how the blessings that they have because in verse 21 it says, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, that was your past. And now Paul is reminding them the same thing. Notice Paul's, I I didn't get this myself, but it's it's ruthless logic. Uh, I saw it in three different places, so I thought it must be good. But notice his logic. It's straight from these verse, in verse 9. If you don't have Christ's spirit, you do not belong to Christ. That's his logic in verse 9. And 10, if you belong to Christ, you have Christ's spirit. There's no gray area. You either do or you don't, right? The first one is kind of scary. You do not belong to Christ. We want to belong to Christ because if we belong to Christ, we have a future. If we don't belong to Christ, we have no future. And it says this, if you have the spirit of Christ, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. In other words, if you belong to Jesus, you will live like Jesus. You will look like Jesus because of the spirit that resides in you, not because of what you do. That's important for you to understand. He's saying you are now, you're no longer in the flesh, but now you're in the spirit. You're found to have Christ residing with you. Paul also says here that the Spirit is in you. This is an absolutely critical thing, for it means that that being a Christian is not merely a matter of adopting a particular set of theological or religious beliefs. This is about who you belong to. Do you belong to the flesh, or do you belong to Christ? And it's because of the work of God. This is is the problem. One of the common lies and misconception is that the Christian life is not trying to live like Christ. One of the misconceptions, you know, it says, oh, I'm a Christian because I'm trying to be like Christ. Or I I am Christ-like. I'm moralistic in a sense. But that's not what the Christian life is. The Christian life is defined whether Christ resides in you. The Christian life is not trying to live like Christ or trying to be moralistic like Christ. It's like, I follow all the commands of Christ. Well, first of all, does Christ live in you? Because if he doesn't, then you don't belong to him. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his commentary on Romans, said this, It is not that a man just changes his beliefs and no more. That's all it takes. No, he was in the realm of the flesh, and he is now in the realm of the Spirit. He was dominated by the flesh before and governed by it. He is now in the realm which is governed and controlled and dominated by the Spirit of Christ. You and I cannot make this change ourselves it's something that God does. When God saves you, it's, that's why we don't, we don't go to a temple and worship and give sacrifices. Because Christ now resides in us. He doesn't reside in the temple. That's also, by the way, why this is not a sanctuary. I know that that's a, that's a typical traditional term for where we worship in the church. Because we, this is not holy. Holy. It's Christ residing in you that's holy. And that's this is the reality, is before Christ and the Holy Spirit, life was dominated by the sinful flesh. That's the past. It's do, do, and work, work, dominated by sin, condemnation, shame, guilt, all of those things, and trying to mask it by pleasure and all these things that's what Rome was dominated by they had to they had to to self-medicate by doing all sorts of wicked things to try to cover up how they really felt about themselves but he says that's you however are not that because you have Christ This is the Christian is marked by his present in verse 10. Paul is saying in verse 10, But if Christ is in you, although our flesh, right? We still have our flesh, the body, is dead because of sin. The spirit is life because of righteousness. He's saying because of the righteousness that is in in you, there is life. This verse basically means that although your physical body will die and is dying... Your spirit has been made alive by the Holy Spirit. You are alive because of the Holy Spirit, because of your new relationship with Christ. Since Christ is in you, means that Christ himself is in us and dwelling in us and giving us life. Remember when he said, I've come to give you life and life to the fullest? His spirit is with us. That's our present state. That's why in Colossians, he, he moved from Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. Now look at Colossians 1, verse 27. Paul states the same thing in writing that Christ has been made known to the saints. He says in verse 20, he says, To whom God willed to make known what is the riches and the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We have this great hope because of Christ in us. Galatians 2.20. That's why Paul said it this way. I have been crucified with Christ. My life is with Christ. And because he was crucified, my life is also crucified. I've been united with Christ. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live. But listen, it's Christ that lives in me or through me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, this body that's dying, even though it's in the flesh, even though it's still subject to the sinful things of this this world, the sinful nature of, of all of our flesh, although in the body that it's in sin, although I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. It's no longer I that live, it's Christ that lives. It's Christ that's giving me life. That's how we are now. That's why there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because Christ is living through us. That's why there's not this condemnation. I can't stress that enough. We were dead because of the sin in flesh. But that's not who we are any longer. That's not the mark on our life. Christ is the mark of our life. Is Christ living through you? What does this mean? This means that by the new birth, by being born again, that it's not being we were born of the flesh we came out of our mother's womb, sinful and wicked, being demanding, saying, give me, hold me, take care of me, do everything for me. If, if you don't, you know, our kids, we put them down and say, you're fine. They say, no, I want you. You know, they're very demanding and selfish, aren't they? We don't have to teach it. It just happens. The sinful flesh is there. But when we're born of the Spirit, when God saved us and he, we're born into the Spirit, He resides in us, We've been made alive. We are alive to the things that used to be dead. You know, the righteous living were dead to us, but now they're alive. What he's saying is what used to be dead is now alive. To be able to see the things of God, to love the things of God, to enjoy the things of God, to have a relationship with, with the things of God, that is our present life. That's not what it was before. But things have changed. God is real to you. You know who God is. And this is the thing is is that we need to realize is Christians do not need to receive the Spirit. If you're a Christian, if you really are saved and are really marked by Christ, that means Christian is to be marked by Christ's life and your union with Christ. You don't need to receive the Spirit, but you need to respond to the Spirit. Because if you're a Christian, you have the Spirit. You don't need to receive it. You have it. The verbs here in this is that this is who you are as a believer. But God is asking you to respond to the leading of the Spirit that now resides in you. You say, well, how do I know if Christ resides in me? How do I know if I'm saved? How do I know if I have the Spirit then? Well, here's some things. You see, I, there's so much. I didn't even make any fill-ins. It's just there. You need to read it and study. You have the experience of a new birth. You can say, man, my, I can look at my past this who's who I was. But now, all of a sudden, at this point in my life, I've been marked by a new, new life. Things have changed. I no longer desired this life. Now I'm desiring this life. I can see that. I can look back in my life when I knew that I needed to respond to Christ, but I remember vividly thinking, I need to die to myself. It's no longer about me. I need to make my life about Christ. I remember that. And I can point back, and I remember my past before that, when everything was about me. And I can look forward to everything, and I wanted to know Christ. And everything in my life changed. Now, I still struggled in sin, but we have a new hope in God and we regard God as truth and we desire to understand it. We have this new appetite for who God is and to know Him because of our relationship with Him. We see Him as our Father, our perfect Father, not like an earthly Father, but a Father who can help us and to remove our sin and help us when we sin. Rather, we don't feel this condemnation anymore. Because we have Christ who resides in us, who draws us to God, and we have this new hope. He is our hope. So instead of worrying about whether God condemns us, we have this hope and we run to God. How do we know if the Spirit resides in us? Does it drive you to God? God. Who regards God's word as truth. You see the spiritual fruit growing in your life and the deeds of the flesh diminishing. This is a slow process. How many have ever watched, you know, a apple tree grow? Well, now, yeah, depending on how old you are, over a period of time, you know, Anissa still, she kind of vaguely remembers her mom and dad. She, you know, lived in the same house for 20 years, Right? And, and she remembers when the apple tree was planted, and, and now they're huge, you know, and they produce tons of apples. 20 years later, right? It's like, and then, you know, now it's been more years than that. I won't give you hints uh, <laughs> at ages, but it's just like we watch it. They don't grow overnight. But if you look back in your present life with Christ, you'll see. Wow, yeah, you know, God has taught me this and God has taught me that. And, and, and now what used to be hard is now okay and joyful. And I, there's peace now. Right? When I face these things, I have peace. Yeah, and, and my love for the things of the flesh have diminished, and the things of God have grown. It's a seed that's been planted. When Christ resides in you, all of a sudden, the things and the fruit of the Spirit are growing. And our flesh is diminishing. Remember, we talked about that. It's the pickle analogy, right? If you take a cucumber out of the vinegar solution, the very next day, it's still a cucumber. If you leave it in for several weeks, it becomes a pickle. Over time, it changes. Just like when God comes to reside in your life, you slowly begin to change and be different. You'll be, you'll be growing in, hate, in your hatred of sin and growing your love for holiness. You'll be growing in praise, joy and thankfulness towards God. You'll be growing in prayer. And here's, a, here's another one. You will tell others about Christ. I've told you this before. When I'm really focusing on Christ that lives in me, and I'm and I'm responding to His Spirit, and I'm I'm letting Him live through me, one of those times was when we were doing when we were starting foster care, and I stood up and I proclaimed Christ in front of this very secular organization, and Anissa was like, "You're going to get us kicked out." <laughs> Right. I remember I got bold all of a sudden, and I started talking about Christ. This is who I am. I didn't talk about how religious I was. I was talking about this is who I am. Christ is in me. I'm not, I'm not, I don't talk about God because I'm a pastor. I'm talking about God because he's he saved me. He's transformed me. And you get bold in it. And it was the Holy Spirit because I'm not usually that bold. I'm not, um, and, and that's just, not, I'm not an evangelist, but I became an evangelist that day, and, and I, we still did foster care. <laughs> we made it through. They saw, they saw what I was passionate about, and they said, that's okay, we'll take it." But here's the thing, Romans, or Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and in you, when it resides in you, and you will be my witnesses. You'll talk about Christ. When the Holy Spirit is in you and you respond to the Holy Spirit, you're going to talk about him. You're, not going, to, you're going to talk less about yourself and you're going to talk more about him. You're going, to be, you're going to care more about him and you're going to care less about the things of this world. And that's true. The older we get, we realize that the things of this world are just transitory. We don't need them. What we thought we needed, we realize are not that important. But Christ living in you, if you respond to his spirit and his guidance, he's going to show you what truly is important for your future. And you can enjoy it. And stop chasing trivial things. Because the Christian is not just marked by the present, having Christ with you, which is a blessing. With Christ with you, you have a future. And that is the Spirit of God will raise your body. Think about it. The same thing, the same Spirit that raised Christ is the Spirit that will raise your imperfect body Jesus I I said it earlier Jesus is the prototype we're unified with him we spent all this time talking about our unity our union with Christ and now that we have Christ we have a future we don't have a future because of us we have a future because of him it's amazing you don't have to worry about your future. You have a future if you have Christ. You don't need pleasurable things to have a future. You don't need earthly things to have a future. You don't need to have power and authority. You don't need, you know, things that are just going to die the next day to have a future. You just need Christ. Christ. Paul says here in, in verse 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Jesus is the prototype. His resurrected body is a physical body, but is not subject to de- disease or to death. The God. God, who raised Jesus from the dead, Ephesians 1, that that we heard earlier, verses 19 and 20, will also raise your bodies from the grave at the moment that Jesus returns. The point is that God will raise us just as he raised Jesus. If Christ is in you, we have a future because what God did in Christ is what God will do through Christ in us. A future, what Paul is saying, the verbs that he's using is this, that we have a future resurrection that is certain, is certain. It's a certain hope. It's not a flippant hope. It's a certain hope. It's not, I hope that, you know, it snows this year. That's, you know, Jaden was looking for him to snow all year. We got it. I said, go enjoy it because I think this is all we'll ever get this year, (laughs) you know, every summer, I can't wait for it to snow, you know, he's like, when is it going to snow again, by August, that's all I hear, when is it going to snow, when is it going to snow, I hope it snows, that's not what this is talking about, Paul is saying, I know for certain, for all those who are in Christ Jesus, we have a future resurrection, and he is regarding it as a certain for all those who are in Christ. In fact, the verbs that he's using here is that we could hardly state it with, with there's no greater certainty than what he's talking about. And he's referring to the Trinity. Through God, through the Holy Spirit, through Christ, we have a certain future. The instant we die, our spirit goes to be with the Lord. And eventually, when Christ comes back, we, he will resurrect our, our, our fallible fleshly bodies and he'll reunite us and we'll have a body like his and we'll worship and glorify God together forever. For certain, because of Christ. Here's the thing I want, to th- I want you to think about this morning. Without Christ, life is grim and futile. If we, look at, if we look at life and we live life based on our past, it's grim. It's miserable. It's always having to produce pleasure in order to find any kind of relief from this grim world. It's miserable. It's like those bumper stickers or those slogans. I don't know if you've seen it. Life is tough, and then you die. That's how people look at life. You know, it doesn't. It's like life doesn't matter, right? You live. You know, live life. You know, live life to the fullest, and then you die. It's miserable. I like it. End of D.L. Moody's life, uh, he said this. At the very, towards the end of his life, he said, Soon you will read in the newspaper that I am dead. Don't believe it for a moment. Right? I will be more alive than ever before. He said it with great certainty. Don't believe it for a moment that I'm dead, because I'll be alive with Christ. Here's another thing is I want you to ask, do you belong to Christ? you say, well, pastor, how do I know that for sure? As the Holy Spirit prompted you, pushed you to Christ and saying, yeah, I need Christ. I still remember the day on my bed. I had just come out of a night terror. My mom comes in and I was like, I need Christ. I know I'm going to hell. (laughs) I was terrified. I knew the moment that the Holy Spirit had led me to Christ. I was terrified at life, at what life was like. How do I know if I, I belong to Christ? Has his spirit put you the desire to honor the Lord in your life? Do you desire to follow him? Do you desire to love him? I'm not saying that you always do it. That's not the point. If you look at your past, you say, whoa, my past was horrible. But now I have a different desire. I see things differently. Has the Spirit put led you to be more like Jesus? Is it pushing you to be more like Jesus? You're like, that's, oh, man, I, I realize that what I just did, that's not right. I need to be more like Jesus. I know I can't, but the Holy Spirit keeps pushing me to be that. I realize that he, is, he produces the righteousness in my life. He is leading me. Does the Spirit, is it at work in your heart? If, do you get convicted? Here's the thing. if When you're reading Scripture and you're like, oh man, that hurts. You have two, you, you, you have two ways to look at it. You're condemned. Miserable. Like, I don't like it. Or, if the Spirit is in you, you say, Ouch, that hurt. Praise the Lord, He's changing me. He's leading me to what is right. He's showing me what is right. Is the Holy Spirit changing your heart? What is the general direction of your life? Is it towards holiness? Towards God? Towards the things of, that he's given you, done for you? Or is it, a, is it in the direction of the flesh? Is it in the direction of the flesh? I'd like to end with a funny story I was reading through. Uh, I love, I knew I, I, I really enjoy reading like a, it's kind of like a reader's digest. It's like a devotional for me. I really enjoy it. But uh, Harry uh, Ironside, Dr. Ironside, he taught at uh, Moody Bible Institute, and actually got to teach Sunday school with one of his students. She was, we called her Great Aunt Polly, and uh, never been married, been on the mission field, and uh, encouraged this young 20-something preacher. (laughs) And, uh, and, she, helped, and uh, she always steered me towards her professor, Ironside. In his study on Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, he talks about one of his trips when he was traveling to Southern California. And a gypsy woman came up to him and says, do you want to hear, uh, I can tell your future. And, and he's like, great. And he goes, it'll cost you a quarter. So you know this was quite a while ago because uh, if you've ever been to the fair, it doesn't cost a quarter anymore. Um, and don't tell me how I know that, but sometimes I like to mess with them. <laughs> but I, I, I have a twisted mind sometimes, and I like to confront them and uh, ask them questions and share the gospel with them. I'm honorary like that. So, and I got that. I know I like Ironside because he's Scottish. I'm Scottish. I knew we had something in common. He says, sure, he gave the woman a quarter and he, came, he comes out, but he goes, before you tell me my future, can I tell you uh, about, I can tell you I already have been told, someone already told my past, present, and future. And she looked at him puzzled and said, well, sure. And he says, well, in Ephesians chapter 2, he pulls out, he says, this is who I was. I was dead. I was an enemy of God. And that was my past. And she's like, oh, okay, well, that's enough. I've heard enough. And he's like, no, 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 no. let me tell you my present. This, this, this God who told me who I was in my past has now told me who I am in my present. He said, but God, being rich in mercy, delivered me from death and brought me into life. He says, now I'm living. I have a spirit that resides in me that's alive. That's my present. She goes, okay, okay, okay. And she tried to get up and walk away. And and he tells the story that he said, no, no, wait, wait, wait. You need to hear my future. (laughs) And he says, that same God is going to raise me just as he raised his son on the last day. He's not only gave me life now, but he's giving me life for eternity. And he says, that's my future. And he says in the story, he says he could hear the lady walking down the corridor of the train saying, I took the wrong man. (laughs) You know, knowing our past really defines our present. Knowing our present really strengthens our resolve for our future. That's what's so beautiful about There is no condemnation for those who are in, presently, in Christ Jesus. If you have Christ, you have life. If you have Christ, you have life eternal. It gives us a security. It's not just anything. It's real security. It's not like the stock market. (laughs) Here today, gone tomorrow. Right? Buy low and wait for years and then sell. (laughs) No, we have a certain future. The real question is, do you belong to Christ? You'll know because Christ that is in you, his spirit will push you towards him. It, it, it helps you with the truth of, about who God is. He explains God to you. He helps you to love God he drives you to want to know God more. Do you look back and that's your life? If it isn't, you need to look and see what he's saying. If you belong to Christ, it's only because of the Spirit that resides in you. It's not because of what you do. It's because of what God has done. If, that, if you're not defined by the Spirit, then you need to question whether you really belong to Christ. And I plead with you, submit to Christ, fall down before him and and die to yourself and let Christ raise you up to a new life. That's what it means to repent, is to turn from you what you think is right and say, God, you are right. I am in the flesh. I am a sinner. I am dying. I need you. Will you save me? Let the Spirit bring, breathe life into your life. You need to decide, where are you? Before it's too late. It's appointed for, God says it's appointed for man to die. And then comes judgment. Who do you belong to? God will tell you at the day of judgment. Oh, I see Christ is your advocate. Oh, I see you're trying to be your advocate through your life. Nope. There's no life there. There's only life in Christ. Past, present, and future. It helps us in our life. Lord, we thank you so much for the beauty of your word, the clarity of it, what it truly means to us. And I pray that it will help us. This is a great encouragement to see, to look back at our past and see what you've been doing that we could never do for ourselves. It gives us great security. It helps us not to look at this world that's filled with insecurity, but it reminds us how great you truly are. May it bless us. May it propel us to talk more about you and about the future that we know for certain we have because of what you did for Christ, you do for us because he resides in us. We're unified with him. And Lord, may we be truthful about the life that we're living. As we look at our past, present, and future, may we be truthful. Are we pursuing the life of the flesh in this world, or are we pursuing Christ? If we're not pursuing Christ, may we be honest and and judge whether or not we really are saved from our sins. Have we submitted our life to Christ? And as he raised us up in the newness of life, in a new creation in Christ, reconciled to God. Lord, if someone's here that hasn't done that, that they would cry out to you because they believe in their heart, they know, they, just, they don't just know You about you, but they know in their heart that you are the, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God except through you, through Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. May they put their faith and trust in you and receive the gift of life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.